0: blog talk radio Hello everybody and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach. Have you ever wondered how well suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website at sumatisparks.com. Sumati is S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in sparks are flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information on how to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today I'm super excited to have as my guest, Orpheus Black, Orpheus is part spiritual therapist and part bedroom sorcerer. Orpheus is a Los Angeles-based public speaker, teacher, thought leader, and somatic visionary who specializes in the application of ancient wisdom in modern-day settings. Welcome to the show, Orpheus.
1: Thank you for having me. Great to be here.
0: So glad to have you. And... um, I was introduced to you by my good friend, Caroline Carrington, who's been a guest on my show, and I was really pleased to meet you because it just sounds like you're really up to some interesting stuff. Um, I want to hear all about your approach to ethical non-monogamy, your blend of spirituality in your teachings, but let's start by talking a little bit about how you've got to where you are. So, I mean, there's no degree in school for how to become a bedroom sorcerer, so... (laughs) So how, how, did you get to, how did you get to the place in your life where you could call yourself a spiritual therapist and a bedroom sorcerer? Like, tell us a little bit about your journey.
1: Um, thank you. And um, basically, my journey started when I inadvertently became poly. Okay. So basically, I was dating a childhood sweetheart you know, I'm sorry, a high school sweetheart, and we just got into a relationship, and a relationship, and I met someone else. And we brought her into this relationship, and we had no idea what poly was. We had no idea what ethical non-monogamy was or non-monogamy. We had no idea of anything, any parameters, any structure, anything. And uh, we were together uh, in a blended family for five years, and it was absolutely some of the best times of my life, and near the end of that relationship, the partner that uh, helped form it, helped base it, left, and it left me for a dominant, and I had no idea what a dominant was. I thought when she said Dom, she was saying Dominic, or an or, or abbreviation, <laughs> or a nickname for someone, <laughs> um, but when she came back because that relationship didn't work out, she wanted to introduce me to this thing called kink this thing called BDSM, this thing called Polly Amory. And she did. She took me to an amazing club uh, where I was totally not dressed for the occasion. If I'm being mm-hmm. honest, I was, uh, I was at a goth club, and I had no idea what goth was, and, and I was wearing hip-hop gear. And when we stepped in, the whole place shut down because we're the only black people there, and we were out of place, sticking out like a sore thumb. Right. But it was in those moments where I'm watching people being beaten, spanked, flogged, tied, bound, that I remember thinking to myself that I could do this. This is me. I feel home. I feel like everyone is living in accordance with their nature, living, doing, acting, breathing, moving, engaging in a way that is in line with their nature in this small hobble, this small collective in in an offshoot of Hollywood. People were doing more expression in those few moments than I'd ever seen in my whole life. And I wanted to be one of those people. I wanted to be able to be free to explore myself, explore my relationship, explore who I was as a human being, as a human animal, Right? To be free to engage on my own terms, on my own principles, right? with the people who wanted to experience me in a very different way. And so my journey started in those few moments of just feeling like I was at home. And that's how I arrived here.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's really cool. So you just felt it right away, like a lot of people would be kind of horrified if they saw a scene like that. But you you just really got it right away. Why do you think you why do you think you felt such a connection? Do you think it was like a past life thing or there was like a part of you that was unexpressed up to that point? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking that. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Venice Beach, and in that space it, back then, it was all uninhibited. There were street performers, Hare Krishnas, uh, every denomination of religion, every body type, every body style. It was open for you to be your weird self. When I moved from that space, it was thick and heavy. I was thick and heavy with religion, with judgment, with people who were performing masculinity, performing femininity, you know, and for me, being a person who was born into freedom to be whoever you wanted to be and then being suppressed, it was like wearing a weight on your back and then to walk into that club to find this place, to find this sanctuary of sexuality really spoke to me because it felt like I was being back home.
0: It was a It was wow. a
1: way to recapture my essence you know, that the thing I lost as a young person. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Orpheus, just a technical thing here. I think if you back off your microphone a tiny bit, the sound might be a little bit better.
1: Mm, um, I have, have headphones that. on.
0: Oh, I have okay. headphones on. Is that, okay.
1: so is that, was that leaning on the mic or something? Was it, was feeling muffled? Yeah, I
0: think just, yeah, I think that's a little bit better now. Thanks. Um, okay, thank you. So when you say, when you say born into freedom and then repressed, are you talking about just the human condition in general?
1: You know, I think it's about the human condition, but to make it more local, uh, when you grow up in the, 70, you know, in the uh, 70s, 80s, it was a very different environment than now, right? Um, but also being in that space, Venice Beach was like the carnival, of Los Angeles beaches. It was for freaks and geeks and weirdos, the stoners and Uh motherheads and and free lovers and hippies and and roller skaters, and everybody could find a place there. When I left Uh there, when my my mother moved and took me to the, the Central Valley, to the suburbs, you know, every house is alike, everybody dresses alike, everybody acts the same, everybody pretends to be an individual, a unique expression, uh-huh. but there was no unique expression there. And, and here's the thing about conformity is part of it is performative, but the other part is survival, right? Uh-huh. You have to perform uh, up to expectation or you're going to be verbally assaulted, you're going to be ostracized, you're going to be maybe physically harmed. When you're different, right. you stand out. There becomes a problem, right? So for me, I was looking for freedom to go back into that space that was uh, first experienced by my childhood.
0: Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Huh, cool. Um, And so so you learned about ethical non-monogamy, polyamory, whatever, um, after your that triad that just kind of formed naturally. <laughs> so some yeah. sometime after that you learned about it. And what like what what do you, what do you what were some of the hard earned lessons that you got from from your early years of practicing non monogamy?
1: Okay. So let me just be very uh upfront. I was a horrible achiever. At first, I was – I cheated everywhere on everybody at any time. I mean, there's no ethical Mm -hmm. in my non-monogamy, you know, because, again, Uh through the enculturation at the time, the only way to be in a relationship with multiple women was to lie. The only way to achieve the goal was by any means necessary, and I was like the Mozart of doing this and juggling multiple people simultaneously, and no one felt – That there was anything going on, you know. And Uh my mother, Uh my mother uh, pulled me aside because I was running numbers through her house. I would give instead of giving my number, I would give my mother's number, and they would call and she would take a message. Right. And um, my mother (laughs) said, "Look, if you don't tell all these women that you're cheating, I will. And here's Mm. the benefit." if you tell them they're going to walk away, but they'll respect you. If I tell uh-huh. them, they're all going to walk away and they're going to hate you. The best part right. is maybe one or two of them stay and you can enjoy that life. And at the end of the day, what happened, I did listen to my mom. I did do the thing and lots of people were angry and upset. A lot of people still respected me and two people stayed. Huh. Right? Two people stayed. The woman that, I call my, my partner and my wife, who's in the other room right now, and my childhood sweetheart, who will be home at any point in time is <laughs> coming up, right? <laughs> because my mother gave me that insight to have integrity, to lead with integrity, to give people a basic, uh, basic human decency. I got a chance to live a life that most people will never be able to because I just came clean.
0: Wow, what a wonderful mother you have.
1: She's an amazing woman.
0: What a blessing. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's great. So you, you talk often about um, the difference between monogamy and monopoly. Can you, can you speak on that a little bit more?
1: Yes. One of the things that my clients uh, often talk about is they are monogamous. Okay, and I said, So what does that mean? It means well only one person or uh only one person per relationship, meaning me and my husband or me and my wife. And I'm like, that's not what my earness means. It means one agreement, one marriage. It doesn't say how many people should or should not be in it. It's not yeah. exclusionary in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Although the colloquial narrative is. Okay. So what we're talking about is monopoly, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, a monopoly is you only get to shop at my store, and if we don't have it, you don't get to have it. You can't get it. And that's where a lot of the relationships are like. This person has a desire, has a want, has a need, and if that partner can't provide it, they're like, tough. You don't get it. Right. I will not think about it. I will not approach it. That is a monopoly. That is not a monogamous relationship. There are many monogamous relationships that involve other people, whether it's just they may meet a person, hang out, and they they maybe fool around or have some fun with. Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's an ex-lover. But it doesn't make them any less monogamous. One agreement. Sticking to the definition that they have.
0: So I I understand the concept of monopoly, and I think that's endemic. I hear that all the time. My partner doesn't want to have sex anymore, but I do, but they won't let me have sex with anyone else, and I can't even bring it up with them or they'll leave me or they'll get mad or whatever. So they're just stuck. Um, So that's an endemic problem in our society. But I'm not completely understanding how you're distinguishing monogamy. You're saying it's one agreement. So, Are you Mm -hmm. saying that in a monogamous, in an actual monogamous relationship, by the way you're defining it, are you saying that if one person is going through a period of time for whatever reason where they don't want to be sexual, that that person can have an agreement with someone else, or they have they change their agreement?
1: Thank you for asking that clarifying question a monogamous relationship is two people sticking to the agreements that they made when they entered the relationship and if that agreement said uh we get to hang out with debbie or bobby on the weekends or every now and then sharon can come over for some fun that is still a monogamous relationship because it's yeah. one gammy monogamy one marriage and a marriage is a contract between two individuals as long as you stipulate make the stipulations that you want, and they're agreeing to it, and they're living up to it, it doesn't matter what you agree to, right? The problem is, is most people don't create agreements. What they do is they kind of have this uh, idea of what marriage is and what society tells you a marriage is. And that it's only supposed to be one person. It's only supposed to be this person. You can't have anything else. Well, I'll tell you, I know many, many people. I've been probably 25 years. And I know people who say I'm not poly, but me and my wife like to meet with somebody on the side as we hang out, and then we go back to mm-hmm. being just us, and that's fine. It's not an open relationship; she can't do whatever she wants or whatever I want. We have very uh, strict agreements. We're not having commitments to other people. We are not poly. We just stick to the agreements that we set up to make us the most happy. Right. That's that, it. that
0: sounds what like what a lot of people call monogamish. Mhm. Have you heard you that term monogamish? monogamish?
1: Yeah, you can call <laughs> it monogamish if you want, but I like to say it's just monogamy because when you look at the word okay. monogamy, one marriage, one marriage, right? And marriage is a uh-huh. contract between two people. As long as you uh-huh. stick to the contract, it doesn't matter, you know, what how many people you're including, it's just one agreement between these two people. I see. That's yeah, it.
0: it's it's funny. I, I've been doing a lot of dating <clears throat> app research this past year, <laughs> um, <laughs> both, because, both because my primary relationship ended right at the beginning of the pandemic and also because I was blogging about it. And so I just kept doing it because I was learning so much that was helping other people as well. And so when I would, talk to somebody who didn't advertise that they were non-monogamous I would say like what kind of oftentimes they don't really even say what they're looking for so I'd say what kind of relationship are you looking for and they would say they would talk about the qualities in the person They'd say I want somebody who's a good who I can communicate easily with or somebody who um, I just have that certain feeling with or I just know it's right like they they don't talk about the Style of the relationship or the model or how many people would be involved. Like it doesn't even occur to them that there could be mm-hmm. anything other than this default, you know, we're just going to be monogamous and if anything goes wrong, we'll cheat. <laughs> you know? It's
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An obli-
0: like this oblivion that there's different ways to do it, you know? And so I love that you're making these nuanced definitions. It's really helpful. Thank
1: you. Thank you. I really believe that we, the language we use really dictates the type of relationships that we're in. And we need to develop new relationships, the words we use, and the relationships that we are in. So for me, helping people understand what a monopoly is, is really important. Because in BDSM, you can have a monopoly, but both people are consenting to it. It's uh-huh. not something that you got into and realized, oh, now I'm screwed. I agreed to something and had no idea that in 50 years this person's penis is not going to work, they're not going to want to do any type of intimacy, and now I have no way out. Right? And that happens a lot because people don't look up ahead. When we create these marriage contracts, when we create these relationship dynamics, we need to be explicit, not implicit. We need to explicitly say, here's what I need. Here's how much of it I need. Here's who I want it from. And if in the event I can't have that, I need there to be exceptions made so I can satiate my needs. That is our monogamous agreement between me,
0: husband, them, wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there's so many people. You know, I'm 60, and so, you know, I've been meeting Part, you know potential partners in that age group and it's amazing how many people are in their 60s and they're still looking for the one and i'm like mm-hmm. how's that been working out for you so far like where are they <laughs> and so i often tell people if you want to be if you want to be non-monogamous you want to be polyamorous stop looking for the one look for a few most of us only have time for three relationships, two or three, maybe occasionally four if you don't see someone very often. Um, so just look for a few. And one of them might turn out to be someone very special. Um, but if, you, if you're if you looking for the one, you're, you're going to be blind to all these other wonderful relationships because they don't meet your exact checklist. Mm. There's this mm. obsession with looking for that one person who's going to meet my every need and then we're going to go off into the sunset and have hot sex for the rest of our life. And that's just not how it works. <laughs> Sexuality ebbs and flows in long-term relationships. So I think there needs to be room for that conversation for things to change and shift throughout the length of the relationship. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I would even go a step further than that. If you want to find true happiness, throw out the rule book, make it yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh There's no reason why you need to adhere to some standard that has not proven to work out for you. Uh Why keep doing the same thing, right? Let go of the rule book. Be a nonconformist. You do not have to fit in. Happiness is created. It is manifested. Uh It doesn't exist outside of you. It is that you make it. So for again, in the same way we make love, right? We make rules, we make guidelines, right? We have to look at relationship, healthy relationships, non monogamy, good sex as an act of creation. If ah. you are trying to be fit into some societal norms or some kind of fairy tale dream that works out like this, more power to you if that's the way you want to go. But I would rather take my life in my own hands, and if it works out, it's because I put the blood, sweat, and shears into it. And if it doesn't, it failed because I chose the direction, not because uh-huh. I was promised a white picket fence and some of this other stuff. Go in there with your wants. Go in there with your needs. Go in there with your desires and figure out the best way to get them. Throw uh-huh. the rule book out.
0: I love mean. that. Mm. Mhm. Yeah, go uh, being up upfront with your wants and your desires and your needs, that's like a whole another conversation we can have. <laughs> a whole another rabbit hole to go down because <laughs> it's so hard for so many <laughs> people, but I, I love you're taking a stand for that. Um so you talked about, you know, a monogamous monogamous relationship um being like an agreement between two people. So, do mm-hmm. all ethically non-monogamous relationships, like, do they all have to be egalitarian?
1: No. As uh, matter of fact, I, I do not like that word at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
1: the domine does not like egalitarianism at all. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. To
1: me, ga- egalitarian hides the underlying power dynamics that exist in all human interactions. I don't care if it's you know fifty one forty nine. There is always a power differential that we have to acknowledge in order to be happy, right? That's the first part. The other part the egalitarian uh, kind of conjures up is this colloquial narrative of equal and fair. Okay, mm-hmm. I do not look for equal. I look for fair. If I Uh had a sandwich, and I said, hey, you want some of the sandwich? He said, yeah, give me a quarter of it. I'm like, no, we have to be equal. Right down the middle, take (laughs) it. Well, that's not fair. It's not what you asked for. It's not what you want. I don't want to have this whole thing. I want it to just be fair. Some people don't want to be your primary partner. They don't want equal. They want to have you two nights a week, three nights a week, four nights a week. Some people want to sleep in their own bed, in their own bedroom and have their own space. They don't want the whole shebang. They just want what they want. And it's okay for that. Some people want a little more. Some people want a little less. That is not egalitarian in nature, but it is fair. So what I want a person to do to take, uh, I'm sorry we have to go back in the desire, is know what you want ask for it, and the person that gives it to you, try it. Just all you have to do is try it. I'm like a restaurant. I serve a very specific thing. You come into my restaurant. I prepare it for you. You ask. I I prepare, offer. You accept it. And if you love it, come back. I love having you. I can let you go, and I can allow you to come back with no problem. Right, the doors are always open. We always have the same thing on the menu. Love seeing you. Right, that's fair. Doesn't have to be equal.
0: hmm Well, I see that a lot with. Um, well, first of all, when when um, couples haven't, they're in an established relationship and they want to explore non-monogamy, and then they often start with the unicorn hunt. You know. Oh. Like, let's just find a woman who likes both of us equally, and she's going to want to have sex with both of us equally all the time, and she'll love us equally, and they soon find out that that's rarely ever, if ever, possible. And then the other way I see it showing up is um, if couples aren't looking to play together with someone, they try to have date nights with other people, like on the same night, or... um, like, you can't date anyone until I find someone to date. But mm-hmm. I find that, that that's rarely the case. There's so much, so many times where one person might have lots of action going on, like several other lovers or other people they're involved with, and then the other person's in a dry period. And so there's that imbalance there that's not equal, but that's just life. Um, we can't control when our relationships happen. So is that another example of fair but not equal?
1: Yeah, it's exactly it, right? It, but let's, let's humanize this a little bit more, and let's say in most cases, especially when it comes to male female dynamics, when that space opens up, if both of them are starting from a place of I don't have any potential lovers and you don't have a potential lovers, we're going to start from square one you can almost pretty much bet your pants that the female-bodied individual is going to get a partner faster than the other person is going to, Uh uh right? And so that person is going to start engaging on and learning how to be affectionate with multiple partners first. The uh, male-bodied individual is going to start learning how to deal with jealousy and insecurity and everything first. Uh-huh. Right? So let's really talk about what both people are learning in that space and what they're going to have to deal with. And as a coach, I want to make this a very real situation. I want them to understand that more than likely your partner's going to find affection, care, whatever, first. Are you okay with that?
0: Uh-huh. Are you
1: okay with maybe her not coming home that night? Or maybe coming home later, you sleeping alone. Are you okay with that? Uh-huh. This is a very real discussion, right? right? Because again, she's going to learn this too when you develop this thing. She's going to mature in a very different way at a different time. Then you're going to have the opportunity to mature with another partner, growing, learning, exploring that space, and she's going to have to deal with the going to sleep by herself possibly waking up alone, possibly having breakfast alone, right? Uh-huh. So we really have to, to make this concrete what they're stepping into. To me, I uh-huh. don't demonize the unicorn home. I think that there are lots of unicorns who want to be with couples, especially if that person is bisexual, It's like, why Uh should they have to reduce their pleasure? They should. If they want to be with a couple, let the hunt begin. And if Uh that's where a couple wants to start their journey, what they do do is start maturing in a very different way. Now we're both Uh learning how to manage our expectations. I get to see my partner in pleasure and see how I feel about it. We have three voices Uh that are able to speak to the joys, pleasures, ups and downs of this relationship, and we have more people to set a container. For me, I think that unicorn hunting is actually a much better way of doing it, right, if they're willing to do it. It has its upsides, it has its downsides, but so do the other two. It's just, which one are you Uh ready for? Me Uh personally, my kink, and I'm going to call it my kink, is for me to share another woman with my wife. If my wife's not there, then it's not my kink. It's not that it's not enjoyable. Uh It's just not my kink. I'm looking for someone Uh to explore my kink with me. Uh Right? So we're unicorn hunters. You know, I make the joke, mm. we walk in the club like, t- like two velociraptors. <laughs> you know, we're out there looking. I mean, really looking. And I don't think that I should, in, like in the recent years, people have been shaming couples that want to be with a single woman. Why? I shouldn't be shamed for that because that's my taste, my choice, who I want to be. I, we shouldn't have to divide and conquer. We shouldn't have to explore the space separate. We shouldn't have to. If that's a choice, that's great. If it's not a choice, then I don't want to do it.
0: Right. And I think what the reason why unicorn hunters get judged is because they, they don't have the communication skills yet to deal with situations that might ensue, such as this woman that they, they ultimately meet eventually loses her attraction to one of the members of the couple, for example. And they need to be able to talk about that. They need to be able to have that open, transparent conversation about if something like that should happen, um, where she doesn't want to have sex with both of them anymore, but she's in love with one of them or something like that. Um, Because we Mm -hmm. can't always control the human heart. It has a mind of its own. Right,
1: right. You're absolutely right about
0: that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um, absolutely. B- before we, wait, wait I'm so... B- Before. Always...
0: Yeah. Before we Always... continue. Before we continue, I just want to, for people that may have joined us late, I just want to let you know that you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach, at sumatisparks.com, and we're speaking with Orpheus Black part spiritual therapist, part bedroom sorcerer. And so I'm really glad to have you here. And if you want to ask any questions, ask Orpheus any questions, we do have a call-in number, and that's 657-383-1132. And you won't interrupt us. You'll just be put on hold, and we'll uh, get to your call at the right time. So, again, that number is 657-383-1132. And I had somebody text me a couple of questions, Orpheus. Is it okay <laughs> if I ask you those?
1: Sure, please. I, I, can, I do want to finish that, uh, finish that which, uh, the statement. Yes, by.
0: go ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay.
1: About the language, uh, we, we say, well, they don't have the language to develop in that space where uh, one person develops this thing. But where do they develop it? You know what I mean? We, we, don't de- we don't develop that without a necessity without a catalyst for it. So a person does have to learn, but also the unicorn should also have language of mediation. It shouldn't be one person trying to remove A partner from the relationship. If you can stay in relationship to both partners, it doesn't mean that you have to be sexual with both partners. It just means that you Uh have to be in relationship to both partners,
0: Uh not try to Uh
1: remove one of the partners. That's what this is really Uh about. So I have a partner Uh of 10 years who we are not uh, sexual with anymore, or I am not sexual with anymore, but my partner is. Right, and I've never had the feeling that she was trying to remove my wife from my presence but I have had people that we hook up with who develop an attachment to her and they're like hey we don't need to have him here why does he have to be around you can just come over my Uh house how about you spend the week how about and they're removing 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 Uh that's not what we're looking for if that's what you're looking Uh for that's great but that's not what we are
0: looking Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for making that distinguishing point.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you ready
0: for the questions?
1: Yes. Hold on. My headphone came off.
0: Uh, <laughs> I can hear okay. you.
1: There we go. There we go. I'm ready.
0: Okay. So this sounds like it's kind of a personal question for you. So mm-hmm. are you able? Are you able to have? BDSM relationships that are also non-BDSM relationships. I guess that means that sometimes you're, um, I don't know, whatever you think that means, but I, I think it means that <laughs> there are aspects of it that aren't kinky or something.
1: Mm-hmm. I define kink as any deviation from what you think is normal sexual behavior. Anything think uh-huh. is a deviation from normal sexual behavior. So can I have relationships that are not rooted in bondage, discipline, and sadomasochism? Yes. But the inherent uh-huh. nature of being in a poly relationship is a deviation from normal sexual behavior because I am in a relationship with another partner. I do like to have sex with multiple people at the same time. And so I don't know that it would be out of the kink space. Does that yeah. make sense? So I can be in a kinky uh-huh. relationship. We can have protocols and rituals. We can do all the fun things, right? But does it have to be around impact? Does it have to be around pain or discomfort or any of that? Sure. I, I can, I, it's a la carte for me. How I'm uh-huh. into my unique sexual expression and the unique sexual expressions of my partners.
0: Uh-huh. And do you ever switch with any of your partners, or are you always dominant?
1: I have never switched with any of my partners, and I'm not saying that as a, uh, like, that's a thing to be proud of. I haven't felt the calling to to switch with any of my partners or to switch with anyone. But I do feel like if for some reason I met that amazing once-in-a-lifetime individual who I felt compelled to allow to handle me, to, to be able to manipulate me or move me in that way, I feel like I'd be Mm -hmm. comfortable enough with giving it over. I just have never been confronted with that situation.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Thank you. And then it looks like they have one more question. What's the role? So we were talking about the unicorn. What are some of the skills and communication that they would need? What's the role of the unicorn? For example, what are some of the skills and communication they would need?
1: Mediation is the number one thing that any inner needs. What did you say? Right? To a, mediation? Mediation. Mediation. To be able to kind of mediate between the wants, needs, and desires of both partners and yourself.
0: Uh,
1: right? Ah. Uh, so, so like me, I'm very much into having, uh, being with my wife and my, my partner. My partner uh-huh. is into the same thing, but she also likes to have one-on-one time with uh, another female-bodied individual, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. I may want some one-on-one time. So I would love for a partner to be like, hey, you know what, I'd love to spend maybe a time with both of you, but I'd also like to be able to get some one-on-one time with maybe you and your, um, your wife, and maybe we can all go out to dinner one night, and then maybe me and you can go to a hotel. This would be great to be able to structure her interaction to make this a build your own exploration with this couple. But so many people don't know what they want or what they need from the relationships that they're having. And a lot of people are too afraid to ask. So those are the Uh, the main things that I would say, our main skills that a person would need, mediation and to be able to speak from a place of desire.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Okay, great. Those Mm -hmm. are some great questions. Thank you for whoever texted me. Um, So (laughs) my next question for you is um, what are some of the things that contribute to the failures or successes of open relationships?
1: Of open relationships or non-monogamous relationships?
0: Non-monogamous, yeah, whatever. Okay.
1: (laughs) Whatever. Um,
0: people, people, people have people use all different labels. You know, some people relate to one label versus another. So whatever the umbrella term is.
1: Okay, so let me just use my definition, so we can just know what we're talk- what I'm, what I'm referring to. Okay. Uh, when we're talking about people in an open relationship, we're talking where, where both people are free to have whatever experiences they want, and they don't have to run it by anyone else. That's an open relationship. Oh. A non, a non monogamous relationship is. Any relationship that is open to other people, whether it's structured or not structured, it's the umbrella term. So I'm just going to go for the umbrella term. The thing that leads to most um, pitfalls is not knowing how to communicate when you're uncomfortable. Uh Communicating your discomfort is super important. This is one of the things that we in BDSM uh, try to do very well is create safe words so that we can use this language to produce an outcome that's safe for us emotionally, physically, psychologically. Now, I'll give you an example of how I would do this. I would say, uh, hey, uh, Julie, what is your safe word? And they would say red. And I said, what would you like me to do when you say that? And you just stop, check in on me, ask me if I'm okay maybe take me to the side and hold me for a second, just so I can know that I'm okay, right? Just so oh. we can have an opportunity to communicate about what this thing is. And I said, okay, Anytime you feel uncomfortable or like you can't do anymore, you can't go on, you use this word, I'll stop, check on me, create a safe space for us to talk, for you to be open, and then we'll go on from there and we won't. Is that okay? Yes, and then we move forward. Right? Because it's not enough to just have a safe word or gesture or phrase uh, within the parameters of kink where we're talking about being hurt, but also emotional hurt, psychological uh-huh. hurt, right, or just real discomfort. So for me, just taking that into this space is really helpful because a lot of people will just take one for the team. Like, well, you were uncomfortable. Why didn't you say something? I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to ruin the mood. I didn't want to look needy. And so I put myself through something that was almost harmful in that Uh space. So if we have the agreement between us how we're going to handle that thing, you know, if that thing comes up, I think people feel more comfortable, more confident going into non-monogamous spaces, right, in this way. Also, let's say you're in an open relationship, right, and you're feeling uncomfortable because your partner spending more and more times away. Create a safe way. Create something that works within the obligations or commitments that you've created and established to keep you safe and keep the relationship whole. And so when you uh-huh. feel uncomfortable because this thing has happened, say what the safe word is, he knows what he or she is supposed to do, and then you go into that space of holding the container, holding that safe space. So for me, just going into that safe word works wonders right off the bat. What are your thoughts?
0: So am I hearing you say that, um, so when there's a BDSN scene, usually you have safe words. Um, But are you Mm -hmm. saying to kind of take that, take that into, um, you know, regular life when you're not actively in a scene and rely on some kind of safe word for when you're emotionally triggered?
1: That is actually exactly what I'm saying.
0: Cool. Well, that reminds me when I had a a partner early on when I was first, I think it was maybe my second open relationship that I was in. And we had an agreement that if we were at a party and one of us was feeling, you know, like so triggered that we needed to go over by ourselves in process, that we would say, do you have an aspirin? And that was just like code for, oh, I've got to leave this person I'm talking to and go over to my bag and then we can go talk. <laughs> so that was really <laughs> helpful. That was our safe Definitely. word, do you have an aspirin? <laughs>
1: I love that. That's excellent. You know, and, and that's something that it's really hard to, 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 to uh, predict the future. We don't know what it is we'll need or not need. So for me, this is just a safety technique to make sure that nobody pushes their self past discomfort. So no one goes into a space of harm or scarcity or triggered, we don't need anybody push themselves in a the place that they don't need to be. So this really demarcates that line, like we're going to a place where I'm really uncomfortable and I can't do anymore, or I need to just check in with you. And then maybe I can start again, whatever it is, you know what I mean? That, it, and mm-hmm. that's what works. And it, whether it's aspirin or red or banana, it's really (laughs) important to create that space Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and this is something I see all the time in the people I coach where people try to be more evolved than they are Um, they Mm -hmm. don't want to admit that something is triggering them because they've been doing ethical non-monogamy for X number of years and why am I still feeling this way and so, and they want their part, like a part of them wants their partner to be happy and wants to be able to just say yes to everything. But another part of them is feeling hurt and scared and contracted. And so it's hard for them to give that part of the, their self voice because the other part is also true. So mm-hmm. you have these two parts of you, one part of you that wants to be really open and compersive and really have joy for your partner and this other part of you that feels five years old that's really contracted. So how, how mm-hmm. do you recommend people dance with that when they're conflicted in that way?
1: What's interesting is you're describing, like, Heidegger's hammer, right? Uh, the, philosopher Heidegger, the philosopher Heidegger had this idea that uh, everybody can grab a hammer, and whether you're a baby or an eight-year-old man, you'll just start hammering. You automatically think you know what to do with it, Right. And you'll never explore the existential idea of what it is until it's broken, right? Uh So for me, I want to remind people that don't wait until it's broken to ask yourself Uh the tough questions. You do not have to wait until your partner's hurt or crying or upset. Uh Create a few safety mechanisms to make sure that you're both okay in this way Uh to move forward and never assume that something is easier or harder than what it is. Be present in every moment. Don't rest on your morals. This is another thing we develop in BDSM because if I take fire, just because I've been doing it for 20 years doesn't mean that this is the time to be careless. This is the time to take it for granted. I can only show up, be 100% present, right, connect with my partner, and then move from there. I think it makes for better sex. I think it makes for safer interactions, right? And it also means that you show up in a very uh, pronounced way. You're like fully there, fully developed, and fully in the moment. So I think you enjoy it a little bit more. So to me, I think that's very important. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, this reminds me of something I read from your website where you said you, one of your the missions is you aim to propel in, the intellectual and sensual evolution of masculinity. And so mm-hmm. your, pres, your presence with your partner, you're being there, you're reassuring them that you want to hear if something's triggering them, that feels like an evolutionary ma- a version of masculinity.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Thank you for saying that. Thank because you. you're, you're not out there
0: uh, just trying to get your needs met. You're not out there just trying to, like, look for the notches on the bedpost. You're actually being present with your partner. And if you can be really present with your partner, then you can have it all. But you, you're not going to have it all if you're out there pursuing your strategy to try to get validation, yeah?
1: Yes, 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. You know, <laughs> the, the, thing, the thing about masculinity to me is masculinity is a barometer by which we measure what a society feels is uh, most important attributes of male-bodied individual. And so they're like, you got to be a go-getter, win at all costs, good with the ladies, this, that, and the other. You know what? To me, that's a setup for failure. Because what if I just want to be a good partner? What is the criteria for that that I can start measuring? how well I listen, how present I am in the moment, right? How much consideration I have for, for my partner's wants, needs, and desires, right? These are the, just a few of the rudimentary things that I think makes a person a good human being, but if we want to make it about masculinity, I would rather be judged on, based on things that I value in myself and the things that I value in other men and how I want to show up for my partner in every moment, not just the sexual one, right? Mm-hmm. The sexual ones is just an extension of my overall being throughout our dynamic, right? If mm-hmm. you can't trust a person to say, "Hey, you said you're going to take out the trash earlier today, and you didn't do it," what makes you think you're going to call when you're out with your partner? Say, "Hey, I'm going to call you when we get to the restaurant." You're not going to call, just like you weren't going to take out the trash.
0: Uh-huh.
1: We, we've got to keep real, solid expectations of ourselves and really say who we are, how we're going to show up and how we're going to manifest, um, how we're going to be manifest in this relationship. And presence is just one of those things. Consistency is another. I want a person, especially men, to be consistent. Be a man of your word. If you say you're going to do it, do it. you say you're going to be there, be there. Right Not just once, not just twice, but be there every time. be consistent.
0: Well, I think so a lot me, of men what? really highly value being um, being uh, uh, in integrity in that way, and so that makes them afraid to give you any kind of commitment or express their love sometimes because they are really fearful that they're going to disappoint you because if they express their love or show any kind of commitment then, um, and then they break that. I I just, my experience with men is that they highly value um, their own, their own integrity and that causes them to hold back from commitment and expression of love. Does that make sense?
1: It does make sense. That's not my, my. Uh, re, as being a man and being around men all the time, I find that most men are flighty, and if you let a person slack, they will. Mm-hmm. I'm the type of person that calls a person to the table. You said you were going to do mm-hmm. it, and you didn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I need to see consistency, mm-hmm. right? I'm holding you accountable, and if you want to rebel because I held you accountable, then I don't think that that feels good to me. Right. right. It's just what it is. We can't explore if I don't trust the person I'm exploring with. Right. And, and let's, talk, let's talk about this thing about trust, uh, because I think one of the biggest mistakes is that people think poly or, or non-monogamy works on trust. It doesn't work on trust. It works on faith. Belief in the absence of proof. You have no proof that he's not going to meet the woman of his life and leave. You don't. But you have to have faith. Uh-huh. Faith that this person is who they say they're going to be. It's going to show up in uh-huh. integrity, show up in his power, be committed, uphold his values. You have faith in that because he hasn't proven it yet. Right? Uh-huh. So if that's faith, then what is true what is trust? Trust is my level of comfort with your established pattern of behavior. Uh-huh. I, I trust you because you've been consistent. You do what you say mm-hmm. you're going to do. You show up when you say you're going to show up, and and you are who you say you are. That's integrity. The
0: trust is earned.
1: It, not just earned, but I don't want to say earned, but it is it is proven. Uh-huh. You you're consistent. You're consistent right. over and over again. It's regular. Right. Most yeah. people know they're being cheated on because the person stops doing what they say they're going to do, stops showing up at the right time, starts smelling different, and now what you feel is lack of trust is really a lack of comfort. I'm no longer comfortable uh-huh. with this thing because you're out outside of your pattern. Right. Right. So, when you, so before we. Go ahead. Sorry. Go
0: ahead. Go, ahead,
1: go ahead. Oh, I was going to. I was, was just going to follow before. that up. <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Uh, are you sure? Okay. This is what I told you before, that sometimes we end up talking at the same time. Okay. Um. So the last question I want to ask you before we run out of time is um, mm-hmm. you call yourself an Afro-Buddhist. This is a really big question, but we only have like three, three minutes or so <laughs> to answer it. Um, you call yourself an Afro-Buddhist, and you talk about mm-hmm. the spiritual aspects of submission. So can you take us mm-hmm. down a brief rabbit hole and talk about... uh. Spiritual aspects of submission from your Afro-Buddhist thinking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I'm a Buddhist, and I also believe in Afro-phenomenology, specifically Ubuntu. I am because we are. I believe that no one exists in a vacuum, and that we're always in relationship to the other person. So uh, Ubuntu says, if I'm sick, it's because we're sick. If I'm unhappy, it's because we're unhappy. Is that I have a dedication to the group, not just myself, but if I can make the group happy, I can also make me happy, right? And so this factors in, especially when we start becoming poly, because it's no longer about just me or just my wife. It's us. It's all of us. You know, a lot of people think that we, we, are, uh, we have an infinite amount of energy to put into these things, but we don't. Each person plays a role in the satisfaction of what it is we're building. I really believe in, in the, uh, the the 11th commandment, uh, and that was done, done by John. He says, this I give unto you, love each other as I have loved you. And so I try yeah. to set the tone and the pace and the pattern by loving the people in my relationship as much, as long and as hard as I can, humanly possible, so that I can set the pace, the tone, the texture for what it is, that they, the way they're going to care for each other, whether I'm there or not. I want people to realize that you exist in proximity to other people and because other people exist in your life. Maybe that's
0: just a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, boy, the <laughs> time has flown by. I really think that this was like the fastest hour I've ever spent. It was so interesting speaking with you. Thank you so much. So I want to give you a Thank few you. minutes to tell our listeners how they can reach you and anything that you want to offer them, or take it away, whatever you want to say.
1: Thank you. You can find me at orpheusblack dot com. That's O R P H E U S dot and you'll find a range of offerings for my book, The Enzo. You can find that on Amazon, and you can also sign up for coaching with me uh, on the same site. We get one-on-one individual co- uh, coaching, and we also give classes in uh, group settings. So please come there, and if you have any questions, find the admin, shoot us an email, and we'll get right back to you. There you go.
0: Well, that was quick. I'm going to ask you a few questions about that. Um, So I'm really glad that you're working with men. Um, Do you also work with um, women and non-binary people too? And then my other question is um, tell us a little bit about the mentoring that you do with people that are new to kink.
1: Yes. uh, I work with all people. I I don't discriminate based on bodies uh, or sexuality. Uh, my job is to make people be happy with the relationships they're looking for and to find integration around their kinks, around their fetishes, and around their unique sexual expression. So we also have a course for uh, men, which is finding your dominant archetype and really understand mm-hmm. how to be a leader, how to show up, and how to maintain presence within the context of your relationship. That. Uh, Relationship model is very amazing. We have a whole multimedia program that you do, and you also get time with me specifically. So that's uh, the thing I do. Uh, Mentorship program with kink, uh, we've been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, So what we do is we get uh, people who kind of contact us, are looking to have uh, very specific uh, relationships in kink or relationships to kink. And we help find out what they want to do and the be- and create the best ways for them to achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm so glad you're doing that work. Thank you so much for what you do in the world, and and thank you for all that you've been through to be the person you are because you're really special.
1: <laughs> thank you so much, Sumathi. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, appreciate you being with us today, Orpheus. And um, oh. I want to say that Orpheus and I will be doing a workshop um, on May 18th. We finally just came up with the date, our long-awaited workshop called The J Word. Sorry, May 15th, Saturday, Saturday, May 15th. It's going to be at 3 p.m. Pacific time, and it's called The J Word, Jealousy and Trauma in the Ethical, Non-Monogamous, and Kink Relationships. And we also have another um, expert in addition to Orpheus. We have Ariel Gioretto who uh, has, before the pandemic was traveling around the world, teaching teachers about how to heal from trauma. And we're gonna talk about the unique relationship of trauma and jealousy and the unique relationship of jealousy in the dominant submission relationship. So um, please feel free to reach out to me at sumatisparks.com or at sumati.sparks@gmail.com at gmail.com if you'd like more information about that workshop. And I'm really looking forward to teaching that with you, Orpheus. So have a good evening. We'll talk to you real soon. Have a good
1: night. Bye-bye.
0: OK. Bye. OK. So if you're still with us, um, next week, I will be having as my guest Lady V and her partner D, V and D. And they are a very yummy African-American couple that has been married for a long time. And they became sex coaches together. And they really have a lot of wisdom around keeping uh, relationships juicy, long-term relationships juicy and sexy and and open and connected. So please join us next week at 6 p.m., for Leading Edge Love Radio. We'll see you then. Good night, everyone.